Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast of the Sunday morning sermons of the Bullard Church of Christ in Bullard, Texas. We hope you'll be blessed, challenged, and encouraged by today's lesson. Good morning, everybody. We're so glad to be together and blessed to be together this morning in worship and fellowship. And we continue our study in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I have enjoyed the study so much. I hope it has been enriching to you as Mark Uh, reveals to us Jesus. And today we look at what we call the triumphal entry. It's when Jesus entered Jerusalem on a Sunday. And it's at the beginning of this week, an important week for Jewish people. Later that week, they would celebrate the Passover meal and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and other events that have happened that week that Jesus that will happen, that Jesus has been telling them about. All that has been written so far in the Gospels is pointing the reader and the listener to this week that begins on this day with the triumphal entry. Everything is leading us up to this point. And Jesus, three times, has told His disciples, we're about to go to Jerusalem and here's what's going to happen. In Mark 10, and 34, we saw that Jesus tells them the Son of Man, this is the third time He tells them, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock Him and spit on Him and flog Him and kill Him. And after three days, He will rise. It's a very specific description about what's going to happen. But as we see, even the disciples don't totally get it yet. Their vision is clearer now, but they still don't understand fully what Jesus is saying. This story is called the triumphal entry because Jesus enters Jerusalem triumphantly. Except when we read it with our eyes and hear it with our ears, I don't think it seems very triumphant at first. So I want us to see what is so triumphant about this moment when He enters the city of Jerusalem. So turn with me to Mark chapter 11 and let's read verses 1 through 6. Mark writes that now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to him, What are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told him what Jesus had said, and they let him go. Mark writes, you notice at the beginning, as they drew near to Jerusalem. It's that change of uh, the scene in a movie where you, you, you shift from this scene to the next scene. And now as we see this firsthand account of, from Peter as Mark records for us, Peter sees and, 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 and tells us that now 
They are nearing Jerusalem. What Jesus has said is going to happen. Now the time has come. And they draw near to Jerusalem. This is it. And the the disciples, as I said, don't totally understand, but they soon will. Because what happens this week changes everything. In fact, what happens this week changes the world forever. Now, it is Sunday that Jesus enters Jerusalem. And later on that week, as I said, they will celebrate the Passover meal and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread the next day. Do you remember what the Passover meal was about? Do you remember what the Passover event was about in Exodus chapter 12? Real quickly, I want to remind you of that. It's when God uh, sent Moses as his deliverer, as his Christ-like figure to deliver his people from the slavery in Egypt, right? That's what God did. He sent Moses as his deliverer. Moses was a type of Savior, a foreshadowing of Jesus to go to where his people were held in slavery and rescue them and deliver them from that slavery into liberation and freedom. And and the Passover was the tenth plague that God sent upon Pharaoh. See, he had given him chance after chance to repent, Pharaoh, and to to do what God said to let his people go. And time and time again, Pharaoh refused to let the people of God go free from slavery. And so in Exodus chapter 12, God told the Israelites uh, to take a lamb in every household and sacrifice it. They did it all at the same time at night and take its blood and put some of its blood of the lamb on the frame of the door, the doorposts around the door that night. And that night they were to cook and eat the lamb, all of it. And they were also to eat unleavened bread and they were to remove all of the leaven from their house. Do you remember that we've talked about where Jesus told the Uh, disciples, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. Because leaven in the Bible represents sin and evil. And so in the Passover meal and partaking of the unleavened bread, and they were to get all the leaven out of their house, and this lasted for seven days, it was to show them how hard it is to get rid of sin. Because everything almost has leaven in it. And, and, so, and so God wanted them to go through this experience to know the cost that was going to be paid because uh, of the loss of the firstborn of Pharaoh and all families that night in Exodus as a part of the ten plague. And so they celebrated this, this, uh, uh, this uh, ritual, this ceremony every year in Jewish history. In fact, today uh, still do. And so... The leavened bread, unleavened bread, I mean, was just as an important part of this as the lamb. So after the Passover, the, the, the day after, the Israelites would celebrate the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. They were both very important parts to Jewish life. The, the Passover meal is the oldest ceremony in Jewish history. It was the first ceremony they were told to participate in. 
Now, we'll come back to that later, but let me point out, what was Jesus riding when he rode in to Jerusalem? Jesus told two of his disciples, go get me a donkey. And not just a donkey, go get a colt, a young donkey, on which no one had ridden before. And bring me that donkey, and that's what I will ride into Jerusalem. You see, this doesn't seem very triumphant to us. If we'll let ourselves be a little honest, it seems a little weak. It seems a little unimpressive. I mean, why couldn't Jesus just ride in on a big, powerful horse? with His disciples behind Him, all on powerful horses, with armor on. Why couldn't they come in like a powerful force into the city of Jerusalem? Because that's not the way this was going down. But we don't see that at first glance. We don't understand it. But every Jew there immediately understood what was happening When Jesus rode in on that colt. In Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, we see what Zechariah was prophesying. And he was prophesying something about Jesus. Listen to what he wrote. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is He, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, Matthew and John, they both tell us this is from Zechariah. Mark kind of makes us work for us he, for it. He doesn't reveal to us uh, the fulfillment of this prophecy. But Matthew and John do, and they quote Zechariah, and they say, Zechariah said this, this is what this is about. Zechariah wrote this 500 years before Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on this young donkey. And Zechariah wrote to rekindle the Israelites' spiritual fervor. He was trying to get them stirred up again spiritually, turned back to God. And that's exactly what was happening in this moment. And everyone there understood which is why they did what they did when Jesus rode in on that donkey. Except Jesus, what He was doing was something on such a far greater scale than even the Jewish people there understood. But look at verses 7-10 through of Mark 11. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and He sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And they, those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Do you remember that? So often, all this time, Jesus has been telling people He healed, even His own disciples, Shh, don't tell anybody about what I just did. Don't tell anybody that I just healed you, that I just, that I just did this. He even told His disciples that, tell no one that I raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. 
And, and that's called the messianic secret that Jesus isn't ready for word to get out widespread, even though it couldn't be contained because people wouldn't obey him. They just would run out telling everybody and the crowds would follow. But still, Jesus wanted to control things as, you know, up to this moment so that because he was in charge of what happened this week, because he knew what this week was about. He knew how this had to go down. But now as he rides into the city of Jerusalem, he rides in triumphantly. And there's no more secrets. There's no more telling you, don't, don't repeat this. Don't go telling everybody who I am. He's, he's bold in public before the Pharisees, before all the religious leaders of Jerusalem, all the highest powers. He's saying, I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. And everyone who saw this in that moment, who was Jewish, understood exactly what this moment meant because of Zechariah's prophecy. That's how well they knew their scripture and they understood what that meant. So they break out rejoicing. Hosanna, save and save now. Now the thing is, is that they did not understand what Jesus meant, what he understood as the king coming in triumphantly. They didn't understand what he understood that it meant to be the Messiah. See, because they still thought what? That we're talking about a military, political power that you're going to come in and you're going to take over the physical throne of David. And we will now have our king back in an earthly sense. And you will crush our Roman oppressors. That's what they thought and what they were excited about. And even that's what the disciples thought. We'll look at that in a minute. Riding on a donkey, though, was a signal. It was a signal and a sign of peace. If he had ridden in on a horse, that's what you rode when you went to battle, when you were fighting. You didn't depend on a donkey when it was time to fight. He rode in on a donkey as a symbol of peace because he wasn't here to fight an earthly battle. He was here to win a spiritual war. He wasn't here to conquer Rome. He was here to conquer sin and death. He was in the line of David as king, but not to sit on a physical throne, but to sit on a heavenly throne. And that's exactly what he was doing. He came to bring peace. He came as the prince of peace. And he came as the king of the true kingdom, the kingdom of God. And Zechariah tells us he came bringing righteousness and salvation. The crowd treated him as royalty because they laid down their cloaks. They went and got palm branches and what they had and they laid it down like we think of as a royal, uh, as a red carpet, a, a royal welcome. That's what they were doing for him. They were laying out the red carpet for him to enter into the city gates. They were treating him as royalty. They recognized him as the Messiah, even though they didn't fully get it. The, the, the uh, cloaks uh, were symbolic of submissiveness. I'm taking my cloak off and I'm throwing it down. I'm submitting 
to the King, to the Messiah who's coming through. The palm branches in Jewish culture were symbolic of victory. In fact, some of their coins had palm branches, had palm branches on them. That was a popular symbol for them. So that there's, there's, there's submission and there's victory. And our king is here entering into the city to take his throne. They shouted, Hosanna, save now, thinking he was going to save them from their oppressors. And here's where the disciples didn't even understand it. And John tells us this. Look at John 12, verse 16. In John's account, he tells us, this is the same story here, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, meaning after the resurrection and the ascension, then they remembered these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Then they understood most clearly See, that's what that, the, uh, the blind man who Jesus healed twice, and he said, I can't see clearly yet. The people are like trees. And he heals them again because he's showing the disciples, you don't see yet. Nobody sees me fully and clearly yet. But you will. And they start seeing him better. But John lets us know, after Jesus rises from the dead and ascends into heaven, then they get it clearly. And then if we look ahead to Acts chapter 2, then they're they're as convicted as they can possibly be on that day of Pentecost. And then we read their writings and we read their deep conviction that Jesus is the Christ. And they write to us with the same conviction. Jesus talked to them, say, don't you believe? What's it going to take for you to believe in me? And that's what you hear when Peter and Paul write and and all the others. They're just pleading with us, believe in Jesus. See Him for who He is. You hear the conviction and clarity that they now have. Now, Luke records something for us. He's the only one that records this. That happened as Jesus drew near to the city of Jerusalem. In Luke 19 where we get the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. But oftentimes we don't think about what the context is. In Luke 19, 41 through 44, Luke tells us that Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. He's looking over it. He's not down there yet. He's not on the donkey yet. He stops and he takes in this moment. And he weeps for him. Why does he weep for him? Luke tells us, Jesus is saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. That's what he's saying to Jerusalem as he cries for them. Because he is the Prince of Peace about to enter their city, knowing he will be arrested, crucified, and raised from the dead. And and he is bringing true and real peace, the peace of God through salvation. Not military peace, not political peace, not earthly peace, but a peace beyond what they can comprehend. And he said, if you would just, if you only knew the peace that was here, here this day for you, and yet you, you're going to reject me, and you're going to arrest me, you're going to beat me, you're going to crucify me, and you're going to bury me. 
And he only wished that they would turn from him. You see, Jesus knew what was going to happen. And as Isaiah 53.3 tells us, Jesus was the man of sorrows. And he had great sorrow for them because he knew they would reject him. And yet he was the Prince of Peace, bringing them true peace. Jesus entered Jerusalem not to bring war as they wanted, but peace with God, salvation through Him. And yet they would yell, crucify Him. Look at verse 11 at the end of our section today. Mark ends his account of the triumphal entry by telling us that Jesus went to the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, Mark writes, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve, presumably to stay with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, their close friends. So Mark just says he goes dark, but he goes to the temple. He looks around, and then he leaves until the next morning. And by the way, the next morning is when he turns the tables over. He's just gone fully public now with who he is because he knows the time is here and it's time that he makes sure everybody knows. See, Jesus didn't go to the the temple as a tourist to look at the, the construction, to look at the magnificent building. He didn't go to the temple to take that selfie to put on social media. He didn't go to the temple with, uh, uh, with a sacrifice to give uh, of an animal. With, uh, he didn't go to the temple to pray. He went to the temple as Lord and King and as the true temple of God, as a conquering yet humble King. Now, let's go back to the things I mentioned at the beginning about the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Remember I mentioned how Moses was the deliverer of God's people from slavery. Moses was a Christ-like figure, a Christ type in the Old Testament. And now we see Jesus entering the city at at the same time of the Passover feast coming up that week. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus' time to die on the cross and be raised happens to be, not coincidentally, the same time as they celebrate the Passover feast. And we'll look at that next week. And now we see Him coming as King and Conqueror, not of an earthly kingdom, but to save His people from slavery. But not slavery in a physical sense, but slavery from what? Sin and death. And while the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, Jesus came to save us from the slavery of sin, to set us free so that we could have peace with God and salvation through Him. Here's how Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 5-7. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That's what's about to happen. And Paul calls Jesus the Passover lamb. You see, because no longer do they have to go get a lamb from their flock, a perfect, uh, unblemished lamb, and sacrifice it and and put the the blood of a physical lamb, an animal's blood on their doorposts. Because now the true Passover lamb is here. The Passover lamb from God. The Son, Jesus the Christ. He's here and He will offer Himself to save His people. 
You see, he didn't enter Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast like they always did. He entered Jerusalem to offer himself as the sacrifice. And it just is so powerful. The Hebrew author wrote, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins in Hebrews 10.4. But look what he wrote in Hebrews 9.26. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin. How? By the sacrifice of himself. That's the Passover lamb of God. Do you remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus in John 129? He said, behold the what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a powerful moment this is. And Jesus has entered triumphantly because He has come to conquer as the true King and true Savior and Lord. Now the Feast of the Unleavened Bread reminded the Jewish people, as I said, of sin. And it reminded them of of the sin, the the price God has paid to deal with sin and and to free you from slavery. And, And now as we understand the slavery of sin. They removed all the leaven from their bread and that's all they uh, could eat for seven days. What is it we just partook of a few minutes ago? Communion. What is communion? It is remembering unleavened bread, the body of our Savior, the Lamb of God. But it's that bread that has no leaven in it, meaning what? Sinless, perfect, no sin. And we partake of that bread to remind us of the perfect Lamb of God. Not the unblemished Lamb out there in your field but the unblemished Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Christ, whose body was hung on the tree. And we partake of the fruit of the vine as He'll tell us about next week in the Last Supper, which is their Passover meal. And we remember the blood that is put from the lambs on the doorposts of the house, and yet it will be the perfect sinless blood of the Son of God who rode in triumphantly to give Himself up by His own blood to wash our sins away. He would suffer for us. How did Jesus save us? As we close, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2, that the Israelites were baptized through the Red Sea as Moses led them out. Isn't that an interesting foreshadowing of the New Testament and what Jesus would do? That Moses, God was, uh, got Moses as the, his deliverer of, of his people from slavery, and they were saved through the water out of slavery and into the promised land. And that perfectly foreshadows what Jesus has done for us as God's Savior, Deliverer, who saves us from uh, the slavery of sin and death and saves us through the water of baptism to be united with Him so that His blood can cleanse us, so that we will be passed over and we can be saved and have peace with God.
because of that sacrifice. Jesus saves us through baptism. Peter said the same thing in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, as Clint read earlier. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus suffered on the cross that Friday after the triumphal entry. Why? Peter says, to bring us to God from slavery and sin to God. That's what it was about. He's trying to bring us to God and that's what Mark has been doing all this time. I'm trying to bring you to Jesus through telling you who He is. And Jesus brings us to God through His sacrifice and through baptism, faith in Him. And Peter says in verse 20 there that he shows how in the same way Noah and his family was saved through the water. Verse 21, he says, baptism now saves you when we put our faith in Jesus. The waters of baptism we have now are like the waters of the Red Sea where God's people were saved from slavery and death. I want to ask you this morning, has Jesus made a triumphal entry in your life? Have you been standing there praising Him, calling out, Hosanna, the King is here, save. And yet not with the eyes that they had, the understanding they had, but with the understanding Mark gives us that this is truly the Son of God, the Christ, my Savior and Lord. Has He made that triumphal entry into your life? Have you let Him? Have you recognized Him as Christ and Lord and Savior and surrendered to Him and laid down your cloaks, laid down your lives and and praised Him? And and another thing is, is His blood on the doorpost of your life? Are you covered by His blood? Saved by His blood? You are through baptism. Baptism. And if you are, are you living like it? Are you living like Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Are you living like He has entered your life triumphantly as King and saved you by His blood? Is that how you've been living? We want to invite you to come forward if we can help in you in any way. If you need to obey the gospel, if you need to say, I need to surrender all. I need to let Him enter my life triumphantly and and reign as my King. Or maybe I need to be back on track and I need your prayers. Whatever your needs are, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing. We thank you again for listening today. If we can answer any questions for you or serve you in some way, please reach out to us. You can find our contact information and more on our website at bullardchurchofchrist.com. If this lesson has helped you, please rate our podcast and share it so more people can hear the Word of God. And please come visit as soon as you can. We meet on Sundays for class at 9 a.m., worship at 10 a.m., evening worship at 5, and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. God bless you.